father is the district attorney. Now, if you've listened to the Up and In podcast from Baseball Prospectus, you know our next guest. Uh, he's a man who is very much in the news at the moment. It's not Jim Tracy. Not Jim, thank you for joining us. Uh, the news broke over the weekend that you were resigning after nearly four full seasons as the manager of the Rockies. So we wanted to, to have you on to discuss this. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into your decision and whether you plan to manage again in the future? Well, Wendy, it's, it's interesting you ask that because over the course of a period of time in which I managed great franchise for the Colorado Rockies, the great franchise of Vinny Castilla and Kevin Ritz, Troy Tulowitzki, and on and on, Dante Bichette, Vinny Castilla, who I already mentioned once, but he's such a great player, Ben, I have to mention him twice. <laughs> but the answer to your question would be, am I going to manage again? The answer is, yes, I will manage again. I will manage a good ball club next time. I will not manage the Rockies of Colorado, who are an awful ball club, through no fault of my own. If they would have listened to what I told them, they'd have won. Like everywhere else I've been, when I've lost, it's because they don't listen to me. <laughs> well, we're glad to hear that you'll be back, and we're happy to have you on any time. Thank you, Nut Jim. Well, it's my pleasure, and, uh, you know, put in a good word for me at Baseball Perspectives. <laughs> baseball Perspectives, what, what do you call your website? Maybe I'll go work for Goldie with the Astros. We'll see. Okay, thank you, Nut Jim. <laughs> Good morning, and welcome to Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. We are on episode 58. We are recording this just after the last out of the Orioles-Yankees game, which I have seen, but I don't believe Ben has. I have not. I am in the sixth inning, and you have permission to spoil it for me. Excellent. Um, we are going to be doing something a bit differently today because it's the playoffs, and we're going to do something a bit differently, I think, throughout the playoffs, rather than having two topics that we have not prepared for at all. Uh, we will probably have one topic that we will have uh, not prepared for at all, uh, but at least we'll know what the topic is. Um, today, the topic, which is, I don't even know if it's a topic so much as a general direction, which is probably more accurate of a description of what we're going to be doing is just reviewing what the narratives were heading into each division series and talking about whether those narratives have held up or been disrupted by the actual play. Ben, mm -hmm. do you think we can, do you think we can pull this off? Uh, yeah, there. I guess there's at least one series that I don't even know what the narrative was if there was one, but maybe we can figure it out. Which series would that be? Uh, the the Nationals Cardinals series doesn't yeah. feel like a a real clear narrative or expectation for that one to me yeah that i agree that one is probably the hardest one uh for me to think of as well and i think that um it could just be that i think the nationals uh despite having won maybe one game more than the reds it felt to me like there was a pretty clear consensus heading into this that the nationals were the strongest team in mm -hmm. the national league did you sense that as well yeah i'd agree with that which is kind of, um, in a way, kind of odd because they won one more game than the Reds and they won four more games than the Giants. And I think that they had, um, I think they had just a slightly better Pythagorean record than the Cardinals. And they did all that with Strasburg, who's not uh, on the team. And so if well, you adjust for the loss of Strasburg, although I guess you could probably 
come up with something similar for every team as well if you really wanted to. Well, no one respects the Reds, you and I included. So. No one respects the Reds, mm-hmm. but we're jumping ahead. Well, no, I mean, so, I mean, that's why uh, I feel like the Nationals have have kind of had that reputation as the the front runner or the, the class of the NL. I, I was going to say that it was because they kind of had the a comfortable division lead for most of the year. It was pretty clear that, that they were running away with things early, but I guess you could kind of say the same about the Reds. Um, and, of course, the Giants ended up with, uh, both of those teams ended up with much larger leads in their divisions. So uh, I guess maybe it was because of the just overpowering pitching they had for most of the season. Yeah, I think when we get to October, people fetishize pitching to an unhealthy degree. And when you say that somebody is the best team heading into the playoffs, what you almost always mean is that they have the most impressive starting rotation. Um, and that's probably not um necessarily a great way to get to the truth but i think that's mostly what people are talking about so if that was the narrative then that they would have the best pitching even without strasburg i guess that has not been the case uh certainly yeah yeah the yeah that's the thing i mean the offense plays just as much in october as it does in the rest of the year and the cardinals had by far the best offense in the national league Mm -hmm. and they scored 12 runs today Mm -hmm. uh yesterday whenever you're hearing this um and uh so yeah the zimmerman looked terrible i think zimmerman had just about the worst one of the worst outings of his career yes maybe they should have shut him down instead of strasburg um yeah for the second straight season but yes i mean i guess there is at least some speculation that he is fatigued and that that would have something well, to do with it, but basically, Geo too. I mean, Geo walked seven, I think, <laughs> uh, which I, I mean, he's, the, I don't know. There was a lot of talk. Of, I, I saw a lot of sort of simple theories for why he was shaky, like you know, he was nervous because it was the postseason, or he was uh, he was um, uh, out of rhythm because he hadn't pitched in eight games, and all these sorts of type of things that we latch mm-hmm. on to somebody walked seven right but that's kind of a geo thing to do i mean seven is um the, kind of uh, the upper limit of it and certainly it's a a worse start than you expect but i mean geo will walk five or six or even seven in a game and it seems to me i, I haven't really looked at this in depth but it seems to me that the walks tend to be bunched up in innings and that's more or less what happened to him yesterday he uh or saturday he had um think five in the first two innings or something like that and uh so it was kind of a little bit of a minor miracle or maybe it wasn't a miracle maybe it was just the fact that geo also has really amazing stuff so he can um get away with that some of the time and he did get away with it yesterday (laughs) but yeah i mean you'd have to think that right now the the nationals even though they're going back home um with uh home field advantage now and a deep rotation there's probably some nervousness because their two best pitchers both looked shaky and the next two guys even though they both had good years and kind of are part of a strong and deep rotation i don't think anybody has uh nearly the same confidence in detweiler or jackson so and that's really where the strat i mean this is if they lose this because detweiler gets hit hard Mm -hmm. then that's going to be 
I mean, the Strasburg decision is going to be second-guessed all year. If Detweiler comes out and throws a three-hit shutout or something, then you probably won't hear much about it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was always... There was really no way that it was ever not going to be second-guessed unless they either won the World Series or lost, but lost because they scored one run a game or something. Um, Otherwise, it was always something they were opening themselves up to. Um, But I guess, so I guess we would say that the series has half followed the narrative in that the the Cardinals have hit as expected and the Nationals have not pitched as expected. Yeah, I think that it's possible that one sub-narrative of this series might be that uh, the Cardinals as a wildcard team um, in this new wild card format, I I want I think that there might be a little bit more of a tendency to undersell the wild card winner because there's this thought that like they even though the Cardinals would have I mean it would have been the same right well uh, actually the Cardinals would have missed the playoffs in another year but um, but basically wild card teams do just as well in the postseason as anybody else mm-hmm. but um, with this two wild card format it almost feels like. Like people think of these wildcard teams as even being weaker now and having, you know, they've already kind of gotten lucky once by winning their, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm projecting, but there's probably, I don't, I don't really get the feeling that anybody is taking the Cardinals all that seriously as a uh, playoff team, but they're just as good as, I mean, you know, they have the same run differential basically as the Nationals and they're just as good as anybody else. So, mm-hmm. uh, all right. So then we have the Giants and the Reds and the series uh, that you've been writing about series that I've been writing about and I would say that the um, overwhelming thing that people talked about in this series is the Reds bullpen mm-hmm. which is um, kind of like if you think the Orioles bullpen is good um, the Reds bullpen is like 10 times better um, and um, from the Giants perspective it was um, the question marks in the rotation but um, Kane was not supposed to be one of those question marks nope. Bumgarner kind of was um, I was sort of surprised I noted this in one of the recaps, but heading up uh, and listening to the game yesterday, the pregame, uh, the Giants broadcaster Dave Fleming said that with Bumgarner, there was um, so much concern about his last six or seven starts that if he got into trouble in the first inning, like if the Reds got a rally in the first inning, that you should expect to see a reliever come in. Like that's how short the leash was, Mm -hmm. which is amazing because Bumgarner was so good this year up until his last seven starts and um he's been such a huge part of that rotation but the giants rotation is really weird because every everybody's role has been completely flipped yes a couple that's months true come vogelsong they have yeah. been very up and down yeah and vogelsong was like i mean vogelsong was le- wasn't vogelsong leading the league in era in like july <laughs> yeah he uh he certainly hadn't really taken a step back at all from his surprising season last year and zito was uh terrible as always and now zito is well zito's i mean he started out really really well right um or at least superficially well uh and then not so much and then yeah more consistent at least if not better than some of the other members of the rotation so now he's supposed to start game four um, I still am skeptical of that. I think that when Bochi pulled Kane after 75 pitches in game one, it looked to me pretty likely that if the Giants were down um, in it facing an elimination, that they would probably try to bring Kane back on short rest. 
I don't know if he'll do that, but I think it's certainly a possibility. I think it would be tremendously ironic if, or maybe not ironic, probably ironic. I think I think it would fit the term <laughs> irony. But if Zito, after missing the, after being left off the postseason roster in mm-hmm. 2010, and then kind of rehabilitating his career shockingly this year, and and being not only on the roster, but in the rotation over Tim Lincecum, of all people. Yes. If he still manages to not get a start. Do you want to talk about that decision to use him at all, which you wrote about a bit? Um, I was pretty, um, I mean, I was pretty tired when that decision was made. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I have total clarity on it, but uh, it was certainly odd to me that they brought Lincecum into a game that they were not going to win and essentially removed any possibility that Linscombe could start or um, or even really piggyback uh, with Vogelsong going in Game 3. Um, I mean, Linscombe came in without apparently having uh, warmed up and through two innings, and so that basically takes Linscombe out. And if they were down, I mean, I could have seen Linscombe pitching in the third when Bumgarner was in trouble or... Um, pitching if the Giants were down 2 nothing in the sixth. But to be down 4 nothing, knowing the Reds' bullpen is coming in and likely going to shut things down, uh, to use Linscombe as essentially a mop-up man, uh, was it felt weird. And um, I, 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 don't, I didn't get the sense that they did it because they had no faith in Linscombe. I got the sense that they were doing it as a show of faith in Linscombe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, if you want to show faith in him, that's great. And it got the crowd fired up. But it really limits what you can get out of him now. And so, I don't know. I thought it was odd. Well, I guess the Reds' offense in this series has been something that didn't necessarily uh, fit expectations in that they have scored a lot of runs and hit a lot of home runs in uh, San Francisco, which is difficult to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're a team with kind of some, I guess, a a couple big names in the lineup, uh, but not really the most deeper or well-rounded uh, lineup, or at least it it seems, uh, I mean, I guess it was probably the weakest offense in of all the, the playoff teams, would you say? Uh, or certainly was perceived that way. Uh, I think the A's offense is weaker, ah, but mm-hmm. uh, the weakest in the National League, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they have surpassed expectations, certainly, over the first couple of days i don't know whether you want to blame the giants pitching more or the reds offense more but um yeah i would probably blame the giants pitching a lot more Mm -hmm. uh although the reds i mean they certainly they haven't missed pitches and they have hit a lot of line drives and they did make the giants pitchers pay um so i mean certainly they did their job very well um the um I mean, Bumgarner was a mess. Bumgarner was great for one inning, and then he was fighting for his release point all game long after that. Um, uh, Casilla in the ninth inning on the first game was a mess, had no idea where he was throwing it. Um, Kane was not bad, but the pitch to Phillips was certainly bad. It was a um, curveball or slider that just completely missed badly over the plate and Mm -hmm. hung up and didn't do anything. Um, and then Guillermo Moda got a bunch of innings, which again, like that all was weird too. In the first game, I don't know. I don't know how much I want to get into this, but it seems so weird that the giants were down three to one and Bochi was using the back end of his bullpen, which in a July game makes sense. Cause you're saving, you know, you it's maybe it's, it's sort of a little bit lower leverage and you don't want to use up your 
your best relievers when you might have a nine game stretch ahead of you, but you're playing two games and then you get a day off. Mm -hmm. It seems very weird to me that Moto would make an appearance in that game. Maybe that Casilla would make an appearance in that game and that Romo and, and Lopez didn't. And, um, and that gave the Reds two insurance runs. So, uh, I don't know. It's been, I really like the way that Bochi manages generally. And so, um, it's been kind of odd to watch some of these pitching moves. Um, and I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, opposed to the idea that, that he had great reasons for him and that they were actually really smart, but they weren't apparent to me. And I guess we haven't really seen, uh, the bullpen be as big a factor maybe as we thought it would be just because the second game score was so lopsided, um, and then, I mean, it was a factor in the first game, of course, when Cueto uh, got one out, but Latos pitched as much as the rest of the bullpen did combined after that. So, Not quite, but close. Yeah, just about. Um, so we haven't, I guess, really seen uh, so much a, a close game in the late innings that you would expect the bullpen to be a big factor. Um, but... Maybe we will uh, in the next game or two, should there be more than one. Um, so did you uh, – you don't know the outcome of the Yankees game. I do not. But the Orioles won the baseball game. Uh-huh. And they won 3-2. to two. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, as you know, that means that the bullpen did their job. Yes. Uh, one, one run game. One run game. Uh, it was not an extra inning game, I take it. It was not. Okay. Colin points out, though, that their run differential, their Pythagorean record is now 264. Uh, two, their winning percentage is now 264 <laughs> in the postseason. Uh-huh. So they are exceeding it. Well, okay, so uh, in the first game, obviously, we saw, I, I wouldn't really say we saw Baltimore's bullpen blow it so much as we saw one member of their bullpen blow it. Um, most of their relievers pitched very well and were as advertised, and Jim Johnson had a, a bad night. Uh so not having seen any of the bullpen's performance in game two, uh, I can't say, but I would assume that they performed as expected in that game at least. And uh, so there was some sense in in game one, maybe that the Yankees had kind of beaten the Orioles at their best or had, had uh, triumphed over the aspect of the Orioles that has gotten them as far as, as they've gotten this year. Um, and that that might have been especially demoralizing for them to have lost in that manner. Uh, but it sounds like they pretty much bounced back from that and won the same way they've been winning all season. Uh, Brian Mattis has really turned into quite the thing. Yes, Brian Mattis is very impressive. Um, he's very—he's just a sexy <laughs> thing right now. Uh, he might be my—he might be my favorite thing. He might have replaced Sean Doolittle in my heart. He might be my favorite thing to watch at this moment. Yeah, he's. He is dominant against left-handed hitters. They do not hit him at all. Um, is it only left-handed that I mean, is uh, he being I mainly mean, as a loogie? He has no. I don't think he's been total loogie. Uh, I, I don't know actually what his splits are since he's been in the bullpen. Um, mm-hmm. But I know just I mean, looking at his his entire year, even if you include his his innings as a starter, uh, he has shut down lefties really as as well as any um, situa- situational reliever that you would that you would want. And, and no, I don't, he's, he's not a guy who can only go one out, certainly. Uh, so that and, and Tommy Hunter transforming from sort of a back-of-the-rotation, low-90s guy to uh, a potentially dominant high-90s guy in the bullpen has been 
one of the best stories about this team, I think, and something that I wonder uh, whether we'll see copycats of um, and whether it will make other teams more likely to kind of bail on their guys who've been fringy and and don't seem to be developing. If they could just turn them into Madison Hunter all of a sudden, I think a lot of teams would make that exchange. Um, but, of course, this is not typical. Uh, this is not exactly what you would expect most starters to do if they were put in the bullpen. I think it is exactly what I would expect exactly. most starters to do. I mean, kind of, yeah. I don't, kinda. I don't know that I would expect uh, a gain of, like, five, six miles per hour like Hunter has had. Um, I think that's more than than you could expect. I mean, everyone throws harder, everyone pitches better, uh, but it's, it's you know, kind of a moderate better, not a yep. totally transformative um, improvement. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so Mattis, um, in 13 innings since he came back as a reliever, 47 batters, 19 strikeouts, three walks. So that's a guy who, I don't know, if he, if he turns into, I mean, if this is what he is, and let's assume that he's not a, a let's say that he does, he never saves 40 games, but he turns into like something like Sean Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, do we consider that a success, or is he always just going to still be uh, kind of a disappointment based on both his his draft pedigree and his early success? And um, Or do we look at, you know, the the 10.69 ERA and just, you know, thank, thank baseball gods that they let him salvage something. Right. I think, I don't know, maybe it's sort of a disappointment if you look at the fact that he was rated, uh, I don't know what Kevin had him rated, but he was rated by Baseball America as the fifth best prospect in baseball before the 2010 season. So in that sense, uh, I guess it's disappointing if the fifth best prospect in baseball turns into a reliever who goes an inning or two at a time. But, well, Ben, if I can interrupt, I believe you're rephrasing what I just said. So I just want to know if you personally will be happy or sad about this at the end of the day. Uh, I will be happy about it, but I'm not an Orioles fan who was expecting great things from him. So if I had that background, I would probably be disappointed if he only turned into, say, a, a seventh or eighth inning guy. But I'll enjoy it. Nice. Yeah. It's fun to watch. All right, and then um, A's Tigers. A's are well. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what the narrative was about this one either. I think that there's a couple of things. One is that it was uh, the It was a team of that had the best hitter by you know conventional wisdom, if not mm-hmm. necessarily total fact, but the best hitter in the American League, maybe in the major leagues, and the best pitcher in the major leagues against a team that was. Um, scrappy and underpaid but also very deep and uh had a very strong bullpen um a sort of flat but effective um rotation and just used all 25 of their roster spots quite well and then also there was the whole billy bean um and the money ball thing and could his um stuff work in the postseason um so i suppose that um from the Tigers' perspective, they've gotten exactly what they had hoped for out of their two stars. Um, Cabrera has hit well, although um, he's hit well, but other, the, I think the only impact moment that he has been in the middle of was uh, the Coco Crisp dropped ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, Verlander was incredible, yes. dominant, and just as good as he could possibly be. 
Um, so they've gotten the most out of their stars, I would say. Yeah. Uh, it is kind of disappointing that the A's are already one game away from being eliminated. I would have liked to see them go a little deeper, um, both because of how good a story they are this season and, uh, you know, sort of the, the money ball narrative of losing early in the playoffs, as you mentioned, um, I guess maybe they're, Rotation was something of a story uh, heading into the playoffs in that it was entirely rookies. Um, so there's that. Uh, Malone pitched very well uh, in game two, and it was kind of the, the bullpen that blew it. Doolittle, Cook, and, and Balfour, that late-inning trio that has served them so well all season, all of them uh, gave up a run or, or two runs. So... That was uh, not something we would have expected, I guess. It's weird how um, how the, like it's it, it's sort of depressing how I, I actually do see this series as the continuation of an argument that we were having with people in two thousand and four. We just and for five or six years. And and it's like I don't I mean I don't I should not care about winning that argument anymore like it's totally irrelevant and yet there's still a part of me that will like kind of take it personally um and and the the thing that really got me though is that yesterday sunday uh they like sacrifice bunted and the next guy got a hit and that gave him the go-ahead run and the thing that uh, it's just like i know now that if i were still arguing with that guy in 2004 and he were looking at this series. Even if the A's win this series, I know that he'll go. Well, yeah, look, they sacrificed Bunted. I mean, they had to they had to learn how to do that small ball stuff once they got rid of that money ball crap. Right. And uh, so there's no way to win at this point. There's just no way to win. They've they um, you know, and and that's probably the the point is it was never it never felt like you were um, arguing with an intellectually honest person anyway. So you will never win the hypothetical argument against the straw man from nine years ago. <laughs> Right. Uh, and of course, that was always the point that there wasn't necessarily one particular way that the A's were building their teams so much as there was one way that they felt was worth pursuing at the time. Uh, and that if that changed and other things became undervalued, they would change with the market. And they have. Uh, they don't draft like they used to and they don't build their teams like they used to. So, yes, uh, you're right. I guess either way uh, that anti-A's narrative probably would have, you, you could have twisted it in such a way that their either success or failure confirmed what we thought before or what someone did. And it will continue to, depending on what happens in the next few days. Um, let's end it right. and uh, we'll see how the action goes tomorrow. Um, all right, that's all.